welcome to episode 323 of the Reformed Brotherhood. I am Jesse. And I'm Tony, and we are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. We're live, but in a slightly different way. Can people hear it? It's true. We're in a room that we uh, affectionately call the bunker, but also doubles as my father-in-law's office. So we're coming here from uh, Promised Land adjacent in uh, the little town of Enfield, New Hampshire, where we are gathered for our family midwinter no reason celebration. Jesse, how are you doing? I'm great. We're in the same place. I know. I just can't tell if people can feel that vibe. I don't know. Is the vibe so good that it seems like we're always in the same place and then people are underwhelmed when we are actually in the same place? I I can feel the vibe though. I can feel it too. I can feel it. It feels right. It does. Would you agree? Yes. Yes. So that means this is going to be yet another definitive episode. Yes. And the the definitive episode on vibes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that could, I didn't know that's what we were talking about. I thought we had another topic in mind, which was going to be ties and offerings, but vibes could be fine as well. Yeah. Or maybe the vibes of ties and offerings. Vibes and offerings. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, in a sense, ties and offerings have a vibe. Would you agree? It's true. Not always a good one. Exactly. And that's what we're going to talk about. But of course, before we do that. Let's do some in-person affirming and some in-person denying. What are you affirming with on this episode? So this is something that I'm sure everybody in the audience can resonate with. Uh, I'm affirming with that sort of, I don't know what to call it, but that sort of energy that happens when you get together with your family or a group of people you haven't seen for a long time, but you have uh, like a shared history, just all the fun, like inside jokes and inside stories and little turns of phrase that have really deep sure. meaning. I just think there's something really valuable about that. And I've, I've come to learn that even like, even churches have those kinds of things like little, like I remember Absolutely. when I was, uh, when I first came to faith, I was in this big Lutheran mega church and the senior pastor's name was Morris Vognis. And he always led a uh, confirmation class and we had like a large group meeting and then we would go off to our classes and he would always come up and he would go, good evening. And we always, like, it was just, there was something about the way he said, good evening, that like everyone in the room loved. And like, I, I could say that to someone else who is from that same age group in church. I could say it in that way and they would know exactly who I was talking about and exactly what I was referencing that kind of thing. And I feel like our family has a lot of those and I just love them. Yeah, that's true. A lot of children have had that same experience as you. In fact, it sounds like that was an elder. Uh, I was the senior pastor. Oh, senior pastor. Yeah. So many children have grown up with the count. Yeah. Who apparently the count. Yeah. Was Good the evening. senior pastor of your yes. church. Yes. I always thought the count was kind of Lutheran. Yeah. Seems He's like got a that Lutheran kind of vibe. Guy. Yeah. He's got a consubstantiation kind of vibe. He does love blood. Yeah. And so... <laughs> <laughs> and the counting like over underneath with you know what i mean yeah. like there was always like yeah he's like the, the geometry count yeah. yes yeah that seems like, yeah i like that idea i think that just before i i left to come here a colleague said to me hey listen when you go and i was expecting some kind of you know great kind of christmas holiday type greeting he said make sure you make lots of good memories. Yeah. I just thought that's the right attitude. And the church is, of course, a family supernaturally created by God, ordained yeah. and brought together by the Holy Spirit. Why not embrace the fact that your family is a little bit quirky, maybe has its own jokes, its yeah. own special inside references? That's totally okay. I love that. I think in some ways, that's what makes a family special and unique is the fact that it is right. a body set apart. And that in that set apartness, so to speak, there is a common language that might be weird and of course, unique just to that group. Yeah. I like that idea. Yeah. If you're really interested in an example, if you go way, 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 way back in our back catalog, I think there's a whole episode about what our family means when we use the word Nate. That's true. So you got to dig deep for that one. It's it's probably in the double digits somewhere. So that's probably. like, I don't know, it's like 15 years ago or something crazy like that. But you can see an example of that in action. But I just love it. I, I think you know, 15, 20 years from now, I'm probably not going to remember any of the specific Christmas gifts that I got in, in 2022, but I'm going to remember the shared history and phrases that our family has developed over time and, and even new jokes that we've we've kind of come up with this year that are going to live on and probably come back around next year or when we're at the beach together or on, on family phone calls. Those are the kinds of things that that really you'll remember. Uh, and I think those are the things that are really important. It's like that shared identity that your family has. And the church, 
the church as a whole, but then each individual church, each congregation develops this kind of shared language and shared history that I think is it, it just testifies to the fact that it, it, a church operates so much like a family that a family really is a good microcosm picture of what the church should be. Everybody kind of has their role. Everybody knows kind of where they stand and what their particular giftings are. Like I'm, I'm not a cook. But like your wife and our mother, well, my mother-in-law, your mother are, are extremely good at cooking. Right on. So like, I don't try to get in the kitchen, but I can do other things around the house. Like I spent yesterday helping dad fix the tech problem on his phone. Like that's something else can do. So it's, it's, it's such a good picture of the church. It would do, we would all do well theologically to sort of reflect on that a little bit. But this joy of like not making it, it stayed or contrived or right. stage, this idea of enjoying the humor that is yeah. unique to each other. And generally anytime people get together and there's some kind of interaction and it's filled with joy, there's going to be some kind of fun that results. So I like the idea of making that part of the experience, but maybe it's a reminder that that is because the church is like that. It's okay to relish in that a little yeah. bit and just to enjoy each other's company. Yep. We get so focused, you know, of course, churches have governance. It's all necessary. We have procedures where they're necessary. We have the Lord's Day, which is commanded and necessary, but there's all this other stuff that happens on the sides and the periphery yeah. that's equally part of the family, and that's just filled with fun, like the fun of being together. Yeah. Even if at point, at points in time people annoy you, well, that's okay. Yeah. It's, it's a matter of being together and enjoying that in some capacity. So I like that affirmation. That's a little bit off the beaten path. It is. It's, it's, it's kind of meta. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. I affirm the meta-ness of yeah. that. What about you? What are you affirming today? Well, of course, we should discuss this because now mine seems incredibly <laughs> trivial. And try. We just had this deep theological conversation. And now I'm going to say, you know, it's super fun watching people build log cabins on YouTube. <laughs> and that's where this affirmation is going with. So I'm affirming with, and I can't even find this again. So I'm just going to tell you how to search for it. It's called, I spent three years alone building a log cabin. I spent three years alone building a log cabin. And this is like some Swedish dude who is like 18 years old, but just like second level log cabin building. Maybe like you, you've seen your fair share of people build log cabins in the woods in kind of a stage fashion. This is just a whole nother level. So if you're looking for like a way to feel perhaps like you're not quite as much of a man as you'd like to be, or that Sweden is awesome, or that you'd like to just slaughter a bear with your own hands and hang it up, or <laughs> that you'd really like to be into more working more than you are. This is kind of like your jam, but it's super relaxing and this guy's name is, I think it's Eric Grankfist. Yes. And it is super amazing to watch. So maybe just another one of those like eye candy type videos. That's like great, innocent, joyful relaxation where you walk away from that and you don't feel quite like the guilt of having just spent so much time on YouTube, but also you feel like, yeah, that was super interesting, worthwhile watching. Yeah. Also, uh, you're going to spend a lot of time watching this on YouTube because the video is like an hour and a half long. Yeah. This is it's legit. a serious, serious it's business. Yeah. Yeah. It's three years. He yeah. spent three. I don't know if I said this. He spent three years alone building a log cabin. So it's, but like the craftsmanship is amazing. Yeah. That's, just, that's all I'll say. Like he's doing all this stuff by hand yeah. and it's definitely not corny or cheesy. So it's kind of, again, next level. Log there, cabin building. There's something about watching somebody who's really skilled at something just do it well, whatever it is, that is just really satisfying. So there's a similar kind of video that I Agreed. found where it's, I don't know exactly where they are or what their background is, but I get the impression that there's some sort of like Pacific Islander or whatever that's like their background in history. And they literally build these really uh, elaborate structures out of sand like not not like they're not making like sand castle i mean i think they actually made a, a real castle out of sand in one but there's one where they made like a, a working water fountain and all it was was sand and a couple other things that they could find in the immediate area of this sort of jungle setting that they were in right and there's just something about i mean it's this people in the telegram chat are going to laugh at this there's something about watching someone take dominion <laughs> over uh over nature that it just is really it's just good. It gets good and yeah. satisfying to watch humanity, a, a human person fulfill, at least in part, that commandment of God to take dominion over creation. Like we weren't, we weren't uh, created to just sort of like exist in a raw state of nature. We were created with, with intentionality to transform the the world around us into a, a more organized orderly location, a, a garden temple, but the whole world was to be a garden temple. So there's something really satisfying about watching this kind of video. I agree. And there's something lovely about seeing somebody transform what is raw, all this right. great power around them and make it into a place that is perhaps more comfortable. I was just thinking about this today. We're surrounded as we sit right now 
in a really lovely wooded area. And yeah. yet here is this house perched on the side of a mountain that's very comfortable, all these mm-hmm. glorious windows looking out. And to see that dominion take place where is the best, so to speak, of both worlds. It is in some ways that garden, that comfortable place, while at the same time being able to look and to see the juxtaposition right. of all this raw power and beauty of God. And yet to do so from a comfortable vantage, that's an amazing thing. It really is a gift. And it brings us glory, excuse me, brings God glory as he is glorified through us in the building of these things. But also as we appreciate the fact that we are not living in that raw place. Yeah. So there really is something amazing about seeing a landscape transformed and yet seeing its raw essential nature still preserved as you live among it. I think that's beautiful. You get some of this in that I spent three years alone building a log cabin. Yeah. Yeah. Check it out. It's a cool video. I mean, I watched just a little bit of it now, but- (laughs) I've seen videos like that and, and they, they really are just satisfying. <laughs> well, that's why this is next level. Cause yeah. right. A lot of these exist, but I think you're going to get the reason why it's so long is you kind of get this unfiltered, unadulterated, yeah. unabridged view and everything. So you have to watch it all in one go, but if you're looking for the one to watch, this might be it. The crazy thing about something like that, that I think about when I watch these kind of videos is, so this dude spent three years alone building a log cabin and he had the foresight to like set up cameras at the beginning for sure. When there was nothing, there was really nothing going on. And I think there's a lot of times that we, that reflects a certain level of like commitment and planning and foresight for that sure. I think a lot of times when we, we colloquially, the the corporate, we, uh, when we start something, we don't really think about it in those terms and we might do better to think about like, like I remember early on we made a joke cause I was numbering the podcasts zero, zero, one, zero, zero, two. And people joked with me. They're like, you're never going to make it to, to like <laughs> triple digits. Like most podcasts <laughs> don't like, it's, it's kind of silly to number them now, we showed them wrong. but it was just like, well, we're just going to do this. We're going to keep doing it. So it's kind of that same thing as like, if you plan, if you plan for something to last a long time, or you yeah. plan to finish it, you're much more likely to actually do it. Yeah, for sure. Well, there's this like weird, maybe we could chalk this up to Avengers and Romans one. There's weird bias where people tend to overestimate what they can accomplish in a year, but underestimate what they can accomplish in say five or 10. So this idea of having perseverance, Mm -hmm. that perseverance is a great gift of God, isn't it? To see a vision and to have a goal and to see it through is something that we ought to give God credit for. You know, some people say like, I'm so glad I persevered. And I think rightfully the Christian says, I'm so glad that God helped me persevere that that vision, especially in the church, isn't it true? Like, especially with active missions and evangelism that to stay the course and to not be discouraged in that and to see the fruit over five or 10 years is a really beautiful and glorious thing. But it's hard when you're in month six or three of something, it seems so fruitless to say, well, I don't know that anything's going to come out of this. And so it's wonderful that we've got that perseveres with us and actually wants us to see this, this fruit that grows over a longer time period. So once again, we've taken the Swedish gentleman who is 18 (laughs) years old building a log cabin and we found that it is inexplicably connected with right. great and deep theology. Yes. It's yeah. just how it goes. So let's turn it on its head. What are you denying against? So I'm not sure exactly how to classify this. Uh, and I'll, I'll explain a little bit more after I, I feel like I should guess where this is, is going. Do I have any sense where I this is going? I don't think so. No, we haven't talked about it all yet. It's not food. It's not food. No, it's theological. I mean, oh. everything's theological. <laughs> uh, it, I'm not sure how to articulate this, but I'm denying sort of what I'm I'm seeing in the church at large as sort of this blurring and, and sort of obliterating of the line between public theology and sort of private administration of, of a church. And so the the most recent example of this, and I, it's, I can't even talk about this without becoming an example of, of why I think this is problematic. So just bear with me. Um, Matt Chandler, right at the village church. I'm sure most people who listen to the show have heard about this weird hubbub about it. Jesse's looking at me with a very blank stare. So I'll just, I'll just uh, explain it briefly. So Matt Chandler is a senior pastor at the Fields Church, which is a big multi-site, multiple tens of thousands of members, kind of a, a kind of a church, very public figure. And uh, apparently at what some service, some woman approached him and said, I saw some text messages you've been sharing with a friend of mine, and I think they're inappropriate. Matt, to his credit, took his cell phone immediately to his elders and like before the service took them to his elders and said, this accusation or this concern just came up. Here's my cell phone. Here's the messages she's referencing. Uh, my wife knows about it. This woman's husband knows about it. Uh, he really didn't think that it was a big deal, but the elders at the church apparently thought this was a weak spot or a blind spot. They said there was no, there was no sin issue. There was nothing sexual about them. They were overly casual. 
And this sort of like vague description will play into this. So they decided he was going to take a leave of absence to kind of work on this blind spot. And it was like three months and he came back. And now, of course, there's all this like he shouldn't be coming back or he came back too soon. Or, oh, why did he even stop? Like, why did he even take a break? In a normal church circumstance, that wasn't a multi-site, you know, tens of thousands of members church. Um, no one would know about this and it wouldn't be anybody's business except the elders. And perhaps right. if the pastor, if it was deemed to be prudent for the pastor to take a break, then, then it would be appropriate to tell the church that this is why Matt is not going to be preaching for a couple months or for an indefinite time. Um, but like Joe Blow in Buffalo, New York and Jim Bob in Alabama, like those people have no need to know about this. And it really wouldn't have made any difference whether they did. But because the village is such a public persona, it's such a public right. uh, church, all of their private business, this private administrative stuff that really doesn't have any impact outside of the walls of the church has suddenly become this big public controversy. The other area that I saw this in recently is like churches plans on the Lord's Day that happens to fall on December 25th. Mm -hmm. um, I think in general, most churches should be meeting on the 25th. I think there are some churches that didn't, and there are some churches that didn't for stupid reasons. And there are some churches that didn't for practical reasons sure. that maybe aren't as stupid. I, I, you know, there, there's a lots of reasons, but because everybody is like publicizing their business everywhere, everyone else feels that it's their job to comment on their business. Right. And then also to sort of respond publicly. So there was like an endless feed of people announcing, oh, we're meeting on Sunday, we're meeting on Sunday. Um, which again, like I think meeting on December 25th, if it falls on a Sunday is a good thing. And I think most churches should do it. And I don't, I don't want to make a comment about other churches. Um, but that's like a private administrative thing that really like if some church in Missoula is, is not meeting on a, on a Lord's day on a Sunday and the elders have decided for whatever reason that that's prudent or is necessary. Right. It's none of my business and it, I really shouldn't be involved in it, but because everybody makes their stuff so public. So there's a place for public theological discourse, which we try, I think we try on this show to keep our theological discourse to be mostly constructive. We're mostly just articulating the faith. We're having a conversation about it. Um, there's a place for that. And if you put your public theology out in public, then it's subject to criticism. And we, right. we've we never had a time where we're like, you don't have a right to criticize something we've said. But now because people are putting their private administration out in public, they're getting criticized. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, what are you doing? This is our decision. It's none of your business. But right. you've made your private administration it. public theology now. So I don't know really where to go with that. I just think it's a, <laughs> I think it's a, it's a weird precedent yeah. that the church hasn't really had much to do with historically because for the most part, most of the world had no idea what a given church was doing on a Sunday or what, what a given church was doing with discipline matters or their elders. It just wasn't a thing. But because of the mostly the internet and how much we all believe all of our business is everybody's business and everybody's right. business is ours, we've sort of blurred this line. And I think it's got some destructive kind of damaging consequences. I think that's fair. Yeah. It's a weird time to be alive with respect to that, isn't yeah. it? It's yeah. definitely unprecedented. It's a bit like saying you can, and perhaps you should keep your family business right. private. It's unnecessary in some ways, especially for those that aren't in the public eye, it presumes that people are interested anyway. Right. And I think that might be faulty thinking. Right. Of course, if you throw something out there, you're always going to receive some kind of criticism from right. somebody who feels like you're inviting their yeah. commentary. In which case you want to say, listen, just keep it in the family. Yeah. And that's totally fine. Most people don't care. And to your point, we talked about this before. There's this weird part of Facebook that somehow ushers us into this sense that we are omniscient when we have all this information that's really yeah. outside of us and transcendent. Yeah. And therefore that we are compelled to respond to it or feel like we should care about it. Right. So most people should look through that and be like, what do I care? I don't yeah. go to that church. Like, I don't need to comment on that. Right. The decision was made. You know, if it is in charity, we're presuming that it's made in under the full auspice right. of knowledge that's fully known to that congregation and that suits the particular things that are going on there and is bathed and marinated in prayer and thoughtfulness and therefore you should just let it go by anyway. Yeah. But also maybe shame on the churches in general who feel like they need to put it out there for whatever yeah. reason. Maybe it's being done innocently. Maybe they feel right. like they're compelled to put it out there because everybody else is putting it out there. But either yeah. way, we should just say, stop it. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, there's, there's also a difference too, because I had some conversations about this and was like, oh, so people shouldn't like put a notice on their, like their Facebook page that they're not meeting or they're going to be closed or that they are. And I, that's not really what I'm talking right. about. That some of the churches that decided not to meet for whatever reason felt compelled to provide like a public apologetic for it, which it, 
it's not necessary. Like it's none of, it's not really anyone else's business. And the people whose business it is, I would say the members of that church and minister, if it's a denomination, other ministers in that denomination who may have some concerns should approach those ministers. That's what denominational affiliations are for. Um, perhaps a church, a minister in a church, an elder in a church, in another church in town that doesn't have a formal association, if they were concerned or if they had a question, then it would be appropriate to have some sort of conversation, you know, pastor to pastor. Um, but it's it, like this weird phenomena of like, random person in Oklahoma commenting on the fact that a church in Minneapolis decided not to meet and how terrible that is and how those people should find a new church because that's not even a church. And like, I'm not, I'm not even exaggerating that. I saw people who said universally, if your church is not meeting on the Lord's day on December 25th, you should find another church because that's not a church. Yeah, that's and that's just, that's just, they probably don't even mean that because I'm sure if someone picked right. out whatever little, whatever, and I, I don't want to, I'm not saying little as though this is a small issue, whether or not you meet on the Lord's day is a, it's an important issue. But if, if someone picked out an issue that was happening at your church and without any sort of conversation with you just said, well, that's, you should find another church. That's a terrible church. You would rightly go, what do you, what do you, you mind your own business? Like this is, right. this is not your deal. This isn't your business. And and you have nothing to say about it um, because it's not public theology. It's not public discourse. Right. It's not part of the public record. It's a conversation or a, uh, on a decision that's made on a local sessional level or a, a elder board level, whatever your governing body is. But we've made it other people's business. And I, exactly. I mean, I think I'm guilty of this. Luckily, like, people haven't been too critical when I make comments about like how something going on in our church or in my area or whatever. I don't know how the solution is. Like, I think sometimes we have we have to talk about what's going on in our church and, and our conversations, not ours like yours and mine, although they are, our conversations in this age are digital and they are happening in a broader context. So I think maybe it just, maybe there's just a little bit of thoughtfulness that needs to happen I think so. about I think what we like share, that. how we share it, what is public theology, what is a sort of a private administrative issue within your church. And it's the same thing. Like if, if I have a theology of family that leads me to a particular conclusion, mm -hmm. I might talk about my theology of family and then that's open for public discourse. Right. If I then bring a concrete example for my own family into play in some sort of public forum, I guess I have a right to do that. If people are now critical of me and they want to make comments on my family business, I don't have a right to say, well, you don't have any right to talk about that. Right. So I either need to make the decision not to bring that into the public discourse, or I need to recognize I brought into the public discourse, probably don't bring it into the public discourse. Exactly. But if I do, like there's a whole, there's a whole handoff that happens here. Yeah. It's one that is implicit that you've right. invited it. Yeah. Just how it has to be, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And I would say in addition to that, it's one of those things where to your point, like maybe not everything has to be the digital conversation yeah. that God, if we talked about before has at times ordained, what is the best mode and method? And we might say, well, that's outmoded. I could right. do it better. I could go and yeah. touch more people and it might not be wise to do so. Yeah. So I think, I think you're right. Like just because it happens doesn't mean it has to be broadcast Yeah. and you don't have to defend either. Right. I mean, yeah. I've thought about so much, especially among like relatively smaller churches, which is the kind of churches I've attended for all of my life. Even when you think about the, everything from prayer requests to the business of the church, sometimes the best way, the people that know are the ones that know, you know right. what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's all that matters sometimes. Yeah. It's like, don't worry about it. And to even make some kind of public statement is of course, one to publicize it and therefore to put it out in the sphere where it's eligible for people yeah. to either digest the information. Or then again, I think you're implicitly saying you are welcome to provide feedback. Right. Yeah. And if you're uncomfortable with that, then you should be like, we're just not going to do it. Yeah. And and don't be afraid of that. Like the people who need to know will find out. You're not trying to obscure information, right. but you are, I think, trying to keep in some ways everything you're knitting close yeah. so that you can worship together. So you can have that experience that we're talking about, which is there's always going to be asymmetric information when somebody's looking from the outside in through a digital lens right. and has just that kind of like pinpoint, that very small keyhole look into access to information. It's just not worth bringing some things up because it'll cause more confusion and yeah. more strife. Yeah. It reminds me of saying by a, a famous saint named Saint Nanya. <laughs> And his saying is, mind your own business because it's none your business. <laughs> I thought it was going to be like a nachos joke. No, 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 no. What is cheese that's not yours? Nacho cheese. <laughs> uh, are you guys feeling this vibe? Yeah. Because this is the vibe. That's what I'm saying. Can we coin that? Yes. That should be. I like this denial, though. I like this denial because it's two people who have grown up 
where information access has sometimes been presumed. And right. then we've kind of like just dropped that rubric on top of the church and been like, oh, I should be able to know anything about any other church, right. especially if it's a big church, right? Yep. Like the village church, you'd be like, well, I should be able to know. Yeah. And you should ought to ask yourself, why? Yeah. Why do you ever right know? It well, is a church like any other church. And I think too, so, some people might be thinking like, well, those big churches, there's no way to avoid it. But like, there are lots of big churches in the, in like, there are tons of big churches in, even in the world now that, and big, I'm thinking like three, 400 people is right. a big church, but like Liam Gallagher is a very public person, like a very public figure. He preaches publicly. He does conferences other than the name of his church, which I think is 10th Avenue Presbyterian in Philadelphia. Like other than that, I know nothing about what's going on in his church. Nothing. He doesn't reference it in his preaching. Like it's just not part of his public discourse. Um, I think there are a lot of churches that we could look at that are big churches with well-known pastors that are not publicizing all their stuff all right. over the place. So I just, I right. think we should question whether it's a necessary thing. We should question whether it's inevitable because I don't think it is. And I think we've kind of just assumed it is. So yeah, we have, it, yeah. when I say this last thing is like a directive to all of the family of God. And that is maybe part of what's coming out of this here is double down on your own church mm -hmm. and things you ought to know about it. Right. My wife and I talk about this quite a bit. Uh, the challenge I would give to everybody is, do you know the first and last name of all your now elders without having to look it up? Do you know like the intimacies of your own church governance, of the ministries, the tasks, yeah. their needs right now, what's going on? Do you know that stuff? So when we're tempted maybe to comment on somebody else's, it might be a good reminder like, hey, put that energy to some good use right. and dive back into your own family. That there's certainly things of knowledge that you can gain and acquire. Yeah. And maybe it's just get a little bit more intimately aware of what's going on in your own world. I think that is the way that God intended it for it to be. And this can be a great distraction yeah. at times. Yep. Absolutely. Well, Jesse, what are you denying today? I got to equal us out. You okay. came in hot with a really deep, good, again, <laughs> theological denial. And I'm going to go like bottom shelf and just address something just in case somebody's thinking that, you know, we talk a lot about, we're about to get into tithes and offerings and about how your first obligation, of course, is to your local church. And there's so many that are part of the Reformed Brotherhood that give sacrificially little or much to help us cover the cost. And of course, we always go to what when we're talking about that? Patreon. Yes, but sorry, <laughs> not a good, not a good lead. I didn't like, know what he was what, saying. What does that money in particular help us do? Oh yeah, well we, we we use the money that's that's given to us to just keep the show free and to make sure that we are able to sound decent and that our bills are paid and that our you know our bandwidth is good. Um, we use it for things that are concretely for the show. And then sometimes there's a little bit left over and sometimes we'll help another show get right. off the ground or something like that. That's part of the network. Yeah, right. Right. So that's where this denial comes in. Not against all that, oh. because that is epically good and totally 100% affirming. But mainly, just in case anybody's noticed, I have been fighting some prolonged like cold-like symptoms and illness for a while. And my voice has got this like really... <laughs> like rich velvet type undertone that it's I can't true. control right now. It's just happening. <laughs> so I don't know whether from here I just go straight into voiceovers. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Probably. Like, yeah. I, it just seems like that's the kind like I need like some kind of Avengers, like in a world. Yes. There you go. By tragedy and chaos yeah. comes a hero. Yeah, it's like you're the movie phone guy. This is what I guess. Nobody that's, uses that's movie phone anymore. That's right an there. old school reference. Why don't <laughs> you just tell me what movie you want to see? <laughs> I, I was going to say it if you didn't. <laughs> you beat me to it. Yeah. So I just figured I'd get the cat out of the bag. I'm denying against the fact that my voice is doing this thing. And it's worse in the morning, as you know. It's true. I think it's better in the morning. Okay. It's better in the morning. Yes. Yeah. This is the time you record all your outgoing voicemail. Jesse, Jesse gets up in the morning right now and he's like, <laughs> good morning. And like, you can, like, you can feel it in your chest across the room. It's like a boom. Yes. Yeah. It's great. I can't help it. So this is my, I was going to say my podcasting voice, but it's just my total voice right now until something changes. This is a new development. I was like it's feeling true. better. I don't feel particularly poor, but somebody's going to be like, what happened to your voice? Where's the money going? Are you guys paying extra to make Jesse's voice sound so good? And this is on natural, everyone. It's true. This is just what you get. This is your voice on viruses. This is your <laughs> Any questions? Any questions? Info. That's another deep reference. Reformbrother.com. Yes. Yes, it definitely is. Speaking of deep references, let's talk about some ties and offerings because we have, again, danced around this topic or danced with this topic before, but now it's coming in this stream of all these conversations about worship, corporate worship, the church, the church and culture. And just in case anybody's joining us right at this particular moment without having visited some of the back catalog, we should say, by way of disclaimer, ready for this voice, 
Jesse and Tony are not pastors. <laughs> They're not your pastors, nor should you consider them pastors in this world or any other world. It's true. It's true. Although, yeah, it's, it's true. We're not pastors. <laughs> There's no disclaimer to this. Yeah, disclaimer. you should you should always, I mean, that's, so just to sort of like make it clear, like you should always go to your pastor yes. if you have a theological question yes. or if something comes up that you're listening to on this podcast or any other podcast that doesn't seem right, you should go to your pastor to talk right about it. But yeah, that's a good reminder. And I, I think this is a subject I've never heard a two guys talking about theology style podcasts talk about tithes and offerings before. Oh, really? I've never really heard one. So maybe I'm just listening. We to, might be the unicorn. Yeah, we might be. But I, this isn't like going to go into like a Patreon pledge drive. Like this is the, just whatever your pastor's standard speech when he has to preach out of a passage that has to do with tithes and offerings. Just tack that onto this episode and make it about a podcast instead of the church. Because we're, we're not we're not going to use this episode to like roll into like a big request yeah, for, for money. Sure. Like it's that's just not that what this a is. That's a bad setup on my part. I but, was not where we're going. Yeah. Well, I don't know. We don't we don't prepare anything. So we, we literally were like, what time should we podcast? We're like, oh, whatever, whatever time. Um, but tithes and offering are also one of those things too. So we're in this little mini series about kind of corporate worship and the life of the church. And sometimes people talk about these things like, are they means of grace? are the elements of, of worship. And sometimes tithes and offering is considered an element of worship. That is something that is part of the worship service that is commanded by right. God, that is required, that is um, something we do in obedience to God's commands that brings him glory and is appropriate for corporate worship. Sometimes people will say it's absolutely not one of those things and not appropriate for corporate worship. Um, I'm not going to come down strong on those. I think that that I think there's a place for I suppose maybe this by default means I'm saying it's an element of worship. I think there's a place for taking up an offering regularly on the Lord's Day in your worship service. Um, but a lot of churches feel differently, so they do that either they do that. Before the call to worship, they do it at the end. I've seen churches that just have like a box by the door that you just drop your offering in on the way out. Um, some don't do anything like that. It's entirely like mail it to the church. So there's a lot of variety in terms of practice on how this goes. And I don't want to get into like the specific practice of like, how do we, right. how do we collect the offering? Do we use like a bowl or a dish or like one of those like black bags with a hand on it, like a handle on it? You ever seen those? No. I've been to churches where they have like the usher holds it's like on a pole oh, on a pole. And I it's do like, like that. It's got like, like a that. black velvet bag and they just like stick it out in front of you. I like do like that just because yeah. it seems hilarious to it, me. Yeah. It seems comical. Um, so we're not going to talk about like the mechanics of collecting offering. I, I don't know if there's a podcast that did that. We probably will never do a podcast <laughs> like that. However, your church wants to do it. Don't talk about it. Cause that's private administration to get back to what we talked about earlier. <laughs> But what I want to talk about is a little bit about like the theology that lies under why it is that the church collects offerings. Cause that's one of the like most common criticisms unbelievers bring yeah. to the church is like, you just want my money. You're just looking for my money. And I think sometimes even believers feel that way when the offering plate comes around, they kind of feel that like, right. oh, I can't believe they're asking me for more money. Like I gave money last week. There's this, there's this feeling. And I don't think that that boils down just to greed. I think it boils I think it boils down a little bit to like mistrust of the church and a misunderstanding of the purpose of the offering. Could. But I think that even believers sometimes feel that way because they don't fully understand the theology of why it is that we do tithes and offerings. I've always for myself as I've studied this rooted the purpose and the place of tithes and offerings, which we're using synonymous right now. I'm sure we'll, right. we'll differentiate yeah. that just a bit for those who are like eager to be like, they're not the same thing. Right. Somebody is out there like just Freaking mashing. Out. Yes their auditory device right now is rooting it in grace, gratitude and giving. So right. like you cannot have the giving for me without grace and the gratitude that precedes those two right. things. It's really getting this right flow into it and then understanding that those two things, that expression of grace, understanding receiving grace and gratitude does in many ways best happen in the context of corporate worship at the church. And therefore that's why it finds its place in its natural rhythm in the church, no matter how you administer it, right. this idea of coming together, a part of your expression back to God is some manifestation of giving in the sources of wealth that we have in this temporal place, that that's important. But yeah. I do think what happens is we flip it around and sometimes it becomes like, well, you just ought to give first, right. then you'll be obedient. Then you'll receive some grace. You might feel right. some gratitude as a result of that. Yeah. And it's not quite saying like, well, listen, you know, this prayer of like, and this is, man, this is going to come out horrible. This is not to say this isn't true, but some of the, the kind of classic prayers like, Lord, help us to give um, to you just a portion of that which you've right. given us. Is a good sentiment. Right. 
But I think, again, it starts in the middle. Right. And we have to go with understanding what it means that God has been gracious to us as a giver of all gifts, part of what we, we spoke about before. So yeah. I think it's got to be grace, gratitude, and then that should inevitably lead us to giving. If we can't get there, I do get afraid of my own heart sometimes. It's because I can't get there. Right. That actually what I need is for the Lord to kind of fundamentally unearth until that soil again, which even if it's suspicious in the giving, which would be inappropriate because it's not up to us in terms to discern how the church uses that money in so right. much as, of course, you're hopefully attending a church that is Bible-believing, right. it's preaching the gospel, all that good stuff in the mix there, is more about the fact that how much do I appreciate my Savior? What In some ways, we're actually, what does it worth to you? Yeah. And I think that does in some ways manifest in the giving of tithes right. and offerings. Yeah. And I think it goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyways, because I'm sure there's like one person out there that's Do like, that should have said this. Um, <laughs> giving giving to the church, giving an offering weekly is a good thing for a Christian to do. Yeah, for sure. And you're not always going to feel like doing it. And so when we talk about this being sort of rooted in grace and then you know, grace leads to generosity. And then that generosity in your heart leads to giving concretely to the church. We are not saying that if you don't, if you're not feeling it, you should just let the offering plate pass. That's true. There is a place in the Christian life for doing what you know to be right, even when you don't feel like it. And I think that's, that goes for any, any commandment of God, right? There are times that I'm commanded to love my wife sacrificially that I don't feel like doing it. There are times that I'm commanded to tell the truth at work that I don't feel like doing it, but I do it anyways because I know that it's the right thing. And I think that it should be said on the outset of this, because I think some of the things that we're going to say, because you and I, I'm sure we have a very similar theology because you grew up with your dad and I sit under his preaching every week. And I'm sure we've heard him preach through this passage at various times more than once. The passage I'm going to talk about in a second here. We're going to say some things that might sound like if you don't feel like it, you don't have to do it. And that's right. not true. The, 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 the fact of giving of your income to back up to God, that I don't think that's an optional thing for the Christian. So I think there are some people who are going to disagree with me on that. Um, and some people draw that distinction, right? Between tithe, exactly. tithes is mandatory and right. offering is what you do above and beyond that. I personally don't, I think that that's kind of a spurious distinction. I think, when we talk about tithes and offerings, yeah, they're different words. They mean different things and they have different connotations and, and we can tease out those nuances. But at the end of the day, the basic principle is that God has blessed you generously right? and out of that abundance that he has given you. And now I'm not talking about like a monetary abundance out of the abundance of the salvation and the yes. grace and the gifts that he's given to you in gratitude for those things, you offer up a portion of what you've earned back unto the church for God's purposes. Right. It's not about, um, it's not about sort of this like tit for tat, you know, equal thing. And I think some Christians fall into that. Um, and what we can talk about that and we will, but I think we have to establish that giving an offering, giving back of your financial resources of what God has blessed you with it reflects, first of all, the gratitude you have for what God has done for you. Exactly. And the most concrete way we show that gratitude in the real world is is by serving the church. Either either and, and or both and, both giving of your time and your treasure, uh, not just your treasure, right? But also not just your time. That's another thing I hear. Right, right. Yeah, it is definitely prescriptive, isn't it? Right. And the mandate falls from the the place where you've identified, which is to say that, We've been given every spiritual blessing on Lord Jesus Christ. So it's not just about, well, everything, like we're talking about some kind of like progressive right. taxation process here where right. the more you make, the more you have to give because right. God's given you more. And so therefore it doesn't actually start there with the physical. It starts with the spiritual first. Right. That arresting and that saving is the mandate from which God prescribes that you ought to give. Not to mention that this giving is for our great benefit because one, it is a type of spiritual discipline in the sense that it breaks us of this kind of greed. It gives us in some ways this demonstrative example of the heart of God, which is always giving and giving of the first fruits, right? Yes. So it's not just like whatever's left over, I'll give. He says, give first to me in response to this great love, which I have lavished on you. Right. And so that's where if we we need to get ourselves to the place of understanding that. And then that changes again, like the process, the, the door from which we enter into this conversation about uh, tithes and uh, offerings. Not to mention, which I just want to note this because I think sometimes we get this twisted, is that in many ways, the Bible speaks pejoratively at these concepts, not because it isn't prescriptive, right. but because we as human beings turn it on its head and get it twisted 
So we start saying things, well, what do I minimally need to right. give? Yeah. Or what was wrong with Cain that he didn't give properly? Right. And this is the whole problem. So the only passage, for instance, in the New Testament that implicitly authorizes the tithe does so in this weird backhanded way. So this is Matthew 23, 23, which people will be familiar with once they hear it. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Right. So this idea that really the standard isn't where we have these like two hierarchies, there's the minimum requirement and then everything above and beyond that. But there is just one standard, which is generosity. Right. Generosity in accordance with both the prescription that God has loved you immeasurably and that just as you've said, what the Sabbath is to time, basically the authoring is to resource yeah. financially. It's both a trusting, it is a breaking of our selfishness, a breaking of the sense that we are not contingent beings in our own mind to come back to the need that we have before the Lord Jesus Christ. Until you've been locked in the prison, you will never run to Jesus Christ for freedom. Yeah. And this is in many ways the same thing. It is for our good and for God's glory. But it's a bit like we always joke about, you know, like, of course, like the Sabbath being made for for man and not man for the Sabbath. It, it's the same thing here. Right. So it's just hard to get caught up in the details, but it's yeah. like, well, what do things mean? And how much yeah. is enough? And should our churches do this and how they administer it? When I think really God is saying, listen, I've given you this lovely pattern of generosity and giving in your life that I want to have embedded in there so that even to your point, when you don't feel like doing it, you still do it. Right. Because that in of itself will be the kind of thing that breaks you from something that could be really destructive in your yeah. life and money and wealth and power and the sense that you are not a contingent being can be really destructive. Yeah. It's, it's funny that you went to the Sabbath cause I was thinking the same thing and a little bit of a yeah, different were. angle is when we talk about the Sabbath, sometimes we get so caught up in the like, well, what can you do? What can't you do? Yeah, exactly. What are you restricted from doing on the Sabbath? And what we don't recognize is like the fact that God who owns all of our time, he, he would have been within his privileges and his rights to demand a hundred percent of our time be devoted entirely to him right? All the language we use of the Sabbath devoted entirely to God. He would have been within his rights to demand all of our time. He graciously says, yeah, all true. I'm going to require of you in a formal sense is one seventh of your time on a particular day that is devoted to me. That's that's the requirement. And the off, the concept of offering is very much the same thing. So there's this, there's this tension in the passage you're talking about where the uh, the Pharisees are sort of chastised right. for not for maintaining the fact that they gave ten percent, but for not actually recognizing the principle behind why exactly. it is that we give. But they, you can't then take that and say, "Well, then the principles we don't actually have to do that." Because right Jesus on. specifically says you should have done the the latter Both. without neglecting the yes. former. And I think that the tithe, the concept of a tithe. And the first fruits is, I think, is a better framework for Christians to think in is the first fruits than thinking about the tithe, um, partially because the tithe is just a poorly understood concept. Even in the Old Testament, it's very confusing because we think about it as a tenth. But if you add up all the things that the Israelites were supposed to get, yeah, it's actually like 35 percent. It's that. way more than a tenth. So we think about it. It's incredibly generous of God to, to tell us you only have to give me a portion. Because all of the all of the money we earn, all of the stuff that comes to us, all of the things we produce, all of that is ultimately from God, right? God is the giver of all good gift. Every good gift comes right. down from the Father of Lights. So the fact that He only expects or requires us to return a per portion of that, whatever that portion might be, that's actually an act of generosity. And so that's where we have to then reflect God's nature in our lives, God's generous nature in giving us first and foremost salvation, salvation, and then also for providing all of these physical needs that we have, whether it's finances or food or a house, all of these things that he's provided for us, we reflect that also back on his glory when we generously give out of that. And when we say give out of our abundance, I'm sure there are people out there who are like, I don't have an abundance, I'm barely making it by. The fact is that if you're barely making it by, it means that you actually have an abundance. And I don't mean that in like a sort of like a, a flippant way, like people struggle with finances. I totally get that. There's been times I've struggled financially. Thank God that we're not struggling right now, but there have been times and there probably will be times in the future where we struggle financially. That's not the abundance I'm talking about. God has been so gracious in blessing us and blessing his people, blessing individuals, blessing families, blessing churches, that to not give out of that abundance is actually sort of to say to God, like, I'm, I don't really think you've done enough. I'm not really grateful enough for what you've given me. It just ends up being kind of like this backhanded way to say, I don't actually trust God 
with my financial resources. The same way that saying like, well, I can't get to church on Sunday because I just got so much homework to do. Like that was my constant refrain in college. I have so much homework to do. I just really can't get to church on Sunday. What that was, was me saying, God, I don't trust you enough Right. that, that taking this time on Sunday morning to come and worship you, I don't trust you enough to, to help me get the rest of this done. And a lot of times it was like, I don't trust you enough because I actually haven't, I haven't done my diligence. <laughs> right. And doesn't that play out in finances too? For I haven't sure. actually done my diligence to save wisely or to spend wisely. And that's part of why. And that's, I think why the first fruit concept is a much better framework for mm-hmm. Christians to think in rather than uh, thinking of a particular number. 10% is a fine number to shoot for. It's a good starting point, I guess. But the idea of the first fruits is to say, Whatever my offering is, whatever it ends up being, whatever percentage it ends up being, I'm going to give that first, irrespective of whatever my budget might be. Right. Because then what I'm saying is I'm going to be diligent in this because I trust God to take care of the rest. I'm not going to hold back and give God the leftovers. I'm going to give him the first fruits of my income, the first fruits of my time. I guess I don't know how you give first fruits of your time, but conceptually you might give first fruits of your time. Yeah, for sure. All of these theo- all of this theology is wrapped up in in itself and connected and it all sort of centers on this idea that we orient our lives towards gratitude to God for what he's done and what he's given us and that has practical implications. Right. Yeah, it's that grace gratitude giving. It's I think you hit the nail on the head. It's that the Christian life is radically reprioritized. Right. Now the average Christian might be like, well how radical can I be? When you decide on your own, by the grace of God, that whatever happens in your life, you're going to first set aside some of the money you've earned to go toward the church or the work of God's ministry and the gospel message. That is radical. People do not understand that. They understand giving. They understand giving at certain times of the year. They understand giving when you have something left over and when it doesn't hurt. They do not understand prioritizing that. That's a radical reorientation of how you actually live and then you think. So I do often see tithing. I think it's it's God's graciousness to us that he does put some kind of a lower boundary, sets a floor right. to speak, because it does help us then to conceptualize where I ought to begin. Yeah. And again, he basically says, here's where you should begin is at yeah. 10%. Right. That is the beginning. Begin at 10%. Yeah. Um, and we see this in the scriptures, and I love this because I love numbers like in lots of different ways. There are times when God speaks in in ways you think might be like overly or overtly mathematical. You know, like when we find the whole story of Joseph, we find that 20% is a big deal, you know, yeah. set aside one fifth, like that. And you want to say, well, why do we need to know that? But there's something about that number. God is very specific. Yeah. He's very planning. He set all these things out with great deal of thoughtfulness and care. And so tithing as 10% starts in that place. But we also find that like, it's just easy for us to get distracted with money quick and to replace that. Yeah. So I find it interesting when God basically says to Samuel, listen, fine, the people want a king, so I'm going to give him a king. And he's like, can you just, let's just slap a warning label though on this bad boy first so that they know. One of the things he says is he's going to take a tenth of all your stuff. Right. It's interesting that it's a tenth is repeated there. Yeah. As if, again, this is a place that it's quick and easy for us to replace God in all kinds of ways. And often it does start with money. We can convince ourselves with all kinds of expediency and efficacy that really our money is better served elsewhere because we won't be able to move forward. And then what does that do? And that's right. not what God would want from us. In many ways, the tithe is not us testing God. This is where we get it twisted. As if like, well, if I can be obedient to God, he's going to repay me. That's never been the case. Not even spiritually. He's already given you everything in Jesus Christ. But it is, I would say in the reverse, it is God testing us whether or not we're going to be faithful in this way, whether or not we do actually entrust ourselves to him in the way that we think we're going to be able to provide for ourselves or for our family. So, and then of course, like people have argued, and this is absolutely true. God doesn't need our money. He really doesn't, right? Church doesn't yeah. need our money. Like, however, in God's way of beautifully working through ordinary means, including like dollar bills right. and yen and the <laughs> Ramumbai, like he uses all of these things. The Ramumbai? Yes. So like in ordinary, these are ordinary means, yeah. right? In some ways, like so mundane that we talk about currency. We're going to have all debates about what that means, what money actually is. <laughs> but all, it, what an incredibly mundane, low level thing. Yeah. that God would turn dollars into missions. Yeah. Uh, but he does that and he requires us to be part of that process. I also will say like in the, the last thing I'm thinking about is I'm just realizing based on what you said, it requires us to come off the sidelines in a really manifest way. Yeah, And I think that's important too. It's easy to be a consumption of so many things in the congregation. 
And yet this does require us to move forward in faith. Not that weird faith, strange fire faith. It's right. like, you know, I'm just going to give, I'm going to give 50% because I'll find that if you see like these weird ads, where people are like we gave 10, but then we gave 20 and we found that God gave us back 40. Like yeah. as if this is some equation right. that you could put forward to get a better yeah. return on your investment. It's not that. But it is like this increasing level of generosity, I think, is a continual turning over and surrender yeah. to God. And it gets us off the sidelines. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I, I think um, it's also important to not get overly legal about offering. And what I mean by that is for most people, um, there is th- there will probably be a time in many people's lives where for whatever reason, 10% is not a realistic number. I think that for most people, 10% is a very realistic number. I think most people can can figure out how to make 10% happen. I actually think when I talk to most Christians that I know and the subject of how much are you, I mean, it doesn't come up often, but the subject of like, how much are you giving away? What's your, what's your generosity look like? Most people are actually a lot higher than 10%. For sure. When you add it all up, even if even if it's only ten percent that ends up in the offering plate, when you look at the you know they 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 buy cleaning supplies for the church or they recognize the pastor uh, needs a new laptop and they purchase you know they purchase the pastor's laptop whatever whatever generous way they they are acting to support the ministry of the church, most Christians end up naturally when they live out this sort of life of generosity, recognizing that everything they have already came from God and that he only demands uh, that we give a portion back to it. Most people end up far higher than that 10%. And this is the, this is the thing that I found in my own life is the more focused I've gotten on that 10% number, the harder it is to do. Right. But when I stop thinking in terms of like 10% and I just go, here's a reasonable amount of money that I'm going to give every week. And then when things come up, I just give out of my generosity or if I, if I, you know, sometimes you, you end up like you have a little bit of extra money in your wallet that you'd like, you didn't realize was there and you go to the offering plate comes by and you're like, oh, I'll just throw this in. That's actually a far easier. And it's not that we should be thinking about what's easier. I shouldn't, easier is not the right word. That is a far more satisfying, sure, sustainable way to think about giving is just, I'm, I give to the church. It's just what I do. It's it's part of who I am. It's yeah. it's unthinkable that I wouldn't be contributing out of God's generosity to his work in the church. When you have when you develop that mindset, it's just natural to do it. It's just what Christians do. And I want to read this passage. We won't get into all the details, but this this passage is um whenever your pastor wants to deliver a sermon that has to do with um tithes and offering. This is one of the go-to passages. This is out of second Corinthians uh, chapter eight. And he says, we want you to know brothers, this is Paul speaking or writing. We want you to know brothers about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part for they gave according to their means, as I can testify and beyond their means of their own accord begging us earnestly for the earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints and this not as we expected but they gave themselves first to the lord then by the will of god to us accordingly we urge titus that as he had started so he should complete among you this act of grace but as you excel in everything in faith and speech and knowledge in all earnestness in all our love for you see that you excel in this act of grace also so paul is saying He's writing to the Corinthians who had sort of started started collecting an offering for the saints in Jerusalem who were suffering, and he writes to them about the churches in Macedonia. And this is this is what just blows my mind about this. One, they were in a severe test of affliction, right? So this is not a church that was in easy times. They weren't giving out of some like bumper crop that they had. They just happened to have a lot extra. But their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty, those two things don't usually come together, do they? Those two things overflowed in a wealth of generosity. So God has given them this amazing joy, even within their hard circumstances. And because of that, they gave beyond their means voluntarily. So this is what just boggles my mind about this passage, right? God expects us. It's not optional for us to give generously, voluntarily, Right? It's not an optional thing for us to voluntarily contribute to the church. And I know that's a weird concept, but it actually is exactly what 
we see in the scriptures. It's not an option to give cheerfully and voluntarily, like giving grudgingly, even with everything that we said earlier about sometimes you have to do what you don't want to do. At the end of the day, it's still voluntary, right? Right. It's not like the church is like, the tithe is not a tax. It's not mandatory, but it's also something that God, it's not mandatory. The church is not imposing it on you. God is imposing it on you, but God also is making you a generous person. That's part of sanctification in that process. So I would just, I mean, we're not going to go through a lot of these details here, but I would encourage you to really spend some time studying this passage because it really is interesting to see how this model of giving in the early church was just the standard. This is just what it was. Mm -hmm. So there was a need. These people, they gave what they had even more than they could bear and God sustained them. That's the same thing we see in the book of Acts. People sold their property. They gave what they had. They trusted it to the church to then deliver it and do what God wanted to do with it. It's this model of generous giving out of our abundance, even sometimes when it's sacrificial, maybe especially when it's sacrificial is when God expects us to give it. Yeah. What I find interesting is that Paul notes that they gave themselves first to the Lord. Yeah. So it was almost as if they had put them whole, their whole selves in the offering plate. Yes. And of course, the money that was in their pockets just followed along. So that's what I think we're after is this idea of grace and gratitude is the giving of your whole self. And anytime we invoke this standard of the tithe and the offerings, the problem is we intend to evoke what's minimally required. But the problem is Jesus, of course, elevates all of these right. commands in a way that's impossible aside from the indicative and imperative being carried forward by the Holy Spirit. Right. So as soon as you invoke the standard of like, well, I just have to give the tithe, Jesus says give sacrificially. Right. And that is the higher standard. The tithe is meant to get us in this frame that moves us from this place right. of, I do this because I'm a child and I'm supposed to eat my vegetables and I have no idea why. This place of these things are good for me. They bring fruition and sustenance to my body in a way that nothing else can. Yeah. That's why I eat broccoli and I'm happy to do it for that reason. We need. That's where God wants to get us, isn't it? And so he starts with these rhythms that are required just like of children. Yeah. Just do this thing. You need to do this thing. Trust me and do this thing. To from, finally get to the point where we see, like I said, we give volitionally with a spirit that is filled with joy and that maybe at times need to be reminded, right? but is never far or too divorced from the whole purpose, that intent of why yeah. we give. So I think it, some of this could be a fool's errand because we get so caught up in the distractions and the distractors and the red herrings that instead what God has for us here is dedicate and give your whole self to yeah. the Lord. That takes care of a multitude of things, doesn't it? Your time, your resources, your attitude, your singing, your attention, your listening in the congregation. All this stuff kind of goes to the wayside when we say, well, the standard here is that we would follow along with what Paul is saying about the Macedonians and say, give of your whole self first to the Lord. And then the money that's sitting in your pockets, you'll find is just in the plate because that's where you're sitting. Yeah. The other thing just to think about too, and I uh, I know that there are a lot of dispensationalists that really love the Israelites, and for whatever reason, people who aren't sure. dispensationalists tend to have sort of this like negative perspective on the like the Old Testament Israelites. One of the passages that I just think is so intriguing and just puts me to shame sometimes. I don't remember exactly where it is. I probably should have prepared a little bit more for this. But there's this passage in the Old Testament where the the temple has fallen into disrepair. Yep. And um, they they make this like box and they put a hole in yes. it and people just like stuff their money in when they come by. And there comes a point where they actually have to be like, guys, stop, guys, it. stop giving us the money. We've got too much money. Just stop it. Or um, when Moses is, uh, is um, building the temple, maybe it's the dedication, either yes. the building or the dedication of the temple. There's this list of what the elders bring. Right. And it's not the elders bringing it on behalf of their clans or tribes. It's like the elders as individuals. And it's this ridiculous, just crazy, the truck. huge, lavish amount of things. It's like flocks of goats right. and like, like silver that can't be measured and bronze that can't be measured. It's just this ridiculous, overflowing, abundant offering. And that wasn't, there's nowhere that anyone was commanded. Make sure you bring your offering to the temple. Right. Right. There was the tithe. That was what was expected. Yes. But the people of Israel in that, that passage They give out of their abundance because they see what the Lord is doing. They're thankful that the Lord is in their midst. They recognize that he has saved them and all that he's done for the nation of Israel. And they just give. They give and give and give. Mm. I've never once heard of a church where the elders had to get up and be like, guys, guys, like we've got too much money. Like people are going to start thinking we're one of those prosperity gospel churches. Like just take the next couple weeks. That's never, that's never happened. And I I don't want to get like too like that. I'm not trying to like bag on any particular church, but like, 
what if we were a people that were so generous that that happened? Yeah. That that the church could say we don't need we don't need offerings anymore. Right. So we're going to keep bringing them because this is what we do as people. But we're no, this are no longer contributing to the funds of the church. Right. Everything you give is going to missions. Everything you give right. is going to this. Wouldn't that be just an amazing situation? And I don't I don't know what the answer is why why we don't get there. I I just. I Maybe it's different I don't times. Know. I mean, but, you got to let your pastor speak yeah. to you about this. You got to receive that yeah. because I think sometimes pastors have a sense they just don't want to broach this right. topic because it is so polarizing. And not because I don't think they have a lot of great wherewithal. It's yeah. just that they know that people really hate to be challenged on yeah. this. I will say one of the many things that I appreciate about the church where I attend is in its governance, it has a very strong missional focus. Beyond that, Part of what uh, we give towards, which they really encourage the congregation to consider, is both the needs of the church and at least once a year, a whole separate fund that just supports missionaries broadly yeah. among the denomination. So here's the challenge. Every year the pastor gets up, and I find this so convicting. And all he ha- he says when he talks about this is, I just asked that you give where it hurts a little. Find wherever that point is. Yeah. But that is when we say it's sacrificial. It does mean it's the kind of giving that says, I'm willing to give up X or right. Y. Yeah. that I won't be able to get because I want to turn around and give this money to God. And that is a hard thing to hear. Yeah. But I think he's right with the standard. And yeah. I think that's the kind of meditation and metabolization we should be doing when it comes to our finances. It is actually, where does it hurt a little bit? Where's that twinge where you're like, you know what? I'd really like, it's almost like saying, you know, you everybody has a budget to some extent, even if it's informal in their mind. Right. They know the things they can buy and the things that they can't. They know the things they need to wait for. And you've no doubt come across something where it'd be like, well, I'd really like that now. Or someone says, you want to get now? Be like, we don't have the money. We just can't do it right now. Right. Or maybe never. What are we going to do like that when it comes to our giving to God's work? Where yeah. we say, you know what? I was going to do that. Or maybe like I could do this thing, but instead I'm going to give it away. Yeah. That's, I think, a standard that everybody can fall under because no matter what in your life, there's probably something where we can take away a creature comfort or this small thing. And then we sense just a little bit of pain. Yeah. But I think sacrifice, sacrifice doesn't happen casually right. or comfortably, right? By, yeah. by nature and definition, it is a little bit painful. Yeah. And so if we're being said, I guess the, the question we have to ask is, are any of us giving sacrificially? Right. That's the hard thing. If you are, praise God, yep. and you ought to continue. I continue to need to learn what it means to give sacrificially. So if you're not alone, um, or you're feeling like you're alone, I should say you're not, because yeah. I'm learning this all the time. It's a yeah. classroom you never graduate from, yeah. I think. Yeah. But that's kind of the point. It is. It is. Well, I think we could probably beat this horse in the ground more if we wanted could to. We? we could. And we're going, no, we're not going to. Um, <laughs> Hour two. So we're, we're going to be back again, uh, as always, with more of this series. We're going to be talking about uh, more elements of corporate worship and things along those lines. Um, but seriously, I mean, we kind of joke about it sometimes about how we're not pastors. We're not your pastor. Um, these really are things that are best understood. For sure in the context you're in too, because the, the, the sort of ethos of giving and the sort of, um, the life of sacrifice, what that looks like in that flavor, the flavor of that is a little bit different in every community right. and it, 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 it functions a little bit differently in every community. So these are things you really should talk to your pastor about, talk to the elders about, understand what it is your church believes, because not every church believes exactly the same thing about For this. Sure. And that's not to say that you shouldn't, that you should just go with the flow of what your church says and teaches. Um, you should submit to the teaching of your church, but also hold them to the account of scripture. But that has to start with submitting to the church. You have to start yes. with understanding and speaking with your church about this. We definitely don't want you to be like, these guys on the internet told me that this is not right. <laughs> like, don't do that. That's not what we're looking for. Um, especially in light of what we're talking about, about public private discourse and right. stuff. But these are important things to think through. And I think a lot of Christians, they don't because this is the last thing I'll say. And then we'll wrap up because we have this nice, neat 10% number in front of us. A lot of times, um, whether, whether it's coming at it from the minimum or sometimes the maximum, whatever reason right. we have this 10% number in front of us, we sort of use that as like a way to just not think about it. Mm-hmm. And some, for some people, 10% is an extremely sacrificial number Yeah. for some people. Right 10% is not sacrificial at all. Right. And, and that's where we need to start thinking right. about it is you need to think about this. You have to give out of your own means, even above your means. That's, that's what Paul says here. They gave generously according to their means and beyond their means of their own accord. Right. That's the New Testament standard for giving. 
you give you give until it hurts. I mean, I know that's like a trite way to say it, but that's really that's really what God expects of us. Mm-hmm. You give until it costs you something. Right. Whether that's of your time, whether you're giving up something you're something you want to do, right? This is a silly example, but I I love I've said it before, I love World Cup soccer, and this was one of the most exciting World Cup soccer finals that anyone can remember, and I didn't watch it because it was the Lord's Day. And I wanted to. Um that's a that's a similar kind of thing. I'm not saying that to brag. It's just one of the examples I have. You have to figure out where it is that God is calling you to sacrifice because he is calling you to sacrifice. That's the life yeah. of the Christian. And in in terms of your finances, that's usually going to take place in terms of what you give to your church. Right. You shouldn't necessarily be thinking about like how do I support this podcast sacrificially, right? right. How do I exactly. how do I how do I support uh you know this particular parachurch ministry sacrificially. If you want to sacrifice for those things, that's up to you. God is not, at least in terms of his revealed moral law, he's not calling you to sacrifice for those things at a minimum until you're already sacrificing for the church. Mm -hmm. But there's no, there's no obligatory statement that says like thou shalt sacrificially give to the Reformed Brotherhood podcast or to the Distilling Theology podcast or to right. Gospel Cold, whatever it is, that's not what, those are not offerings. Right. Your church is where you give sacrificially because that's where the, that's where you most concretely engage and interact with God. And that's, that's you going into the temple and stuffing that box full until somewhere down the road, they're like, whoa, 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 stop. May that For right. most of us, that's probably not going to happen until heaven. And when we get to heaven, God's going to be like, you know, stop giving now. You, we, we're all set, right? So I, I, I think this is an important conversation. Again, I don't think I've heard a podcast talk about this. So I'm, I'm maybe You're I'm just wrong. If there's been right. other podcasts out there that have talked about this, please send them my way because I'd love to listen to them. So if you had to choose a word then to describe this particular episode. Being, De- definitive. Yeah, okay. It's definitive. I just want to make sure we're on the same page. I don't you, you, you confused me because I don't know what other word there could possibly be. I exactly. Like, There's got to be another word. No, it's definitive. Yeah, this it is, is the definitive podcast yeah, on tithes and offerings. It is definitive. You're right. I like what you said. The church is, bar nothing else, the right outlet yeah. for giving. It's, and it goes back to starting with your denial, really. This idea yeah. that it is a family that's come together and the family is responsible for the family. Right. And that includes in the giving, supporting your pastor, supporting the work of the church, supporting the place where you meet, bringing together family. And then it's the missional focus in the community in which you live, which you actually live yeah. and worship and breathe and play. All of that stuff comes to roost in many ways with your manifest giving toward that end for the glory of God in your life, among your brothers and sisters, and in the community where you all hang out. That's a beautiful thing. It is. We shouldn't take it for granted and we shouldn't push it aside as this mere obligation that we have to comply with when instead it should be about grace, gratitude, and then giving. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's as good a place to stop as any. So until next time, Jesse, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood.